In today's episode, we are going over six keys to choosing the best exercises for physical therapy patients so they'll actually do them. Let's get rolling. So what's the problem? Why are we talking about this today? Uh, in general, from a physical therapy perspective, I know everyone knows this, exercise seems to be very useful, okay? It's useful for a lot of things. If you have an injury, it's helpful oftentimes to get out of pain and get back to training. It's also super useful for health and wellness, okay? We know it's good. The other part is that from a rehab perspective, there's lots of exercises to choose from. And some might argue are better than others, but oftentimes I think there's a lot of really good options, right? So how do we go about choosing the best exercises for our patients? How do we deal with things like non-compliance, right? We'll talk about this in a little bit, but our patients aren't always phenomenal at following their home exercise program. And lastly, where do you start? So the patient comes in, they have a pain problem. We know that we can give them a variety of different exercises. What are the best ones to kind of start with? Okay. So in today's video, we're going over six keys to help you out. First one is going to be, what are the best treatments that we have for the given diagnosis? Number two is, what does a person actually enjoy doing? Number three, what is a patient trying to get back to? What are their goals? Number four, what is their training or exercise background? Number five, how painful are they? And which exercises do they tolerate well? Number six to think about is going to be long-term planning. And this is going to be really important for a sport population. We'll talk about the nuance in a bit. Now, before we get going, I want you to know about my fitness pain-free mini course. It's absolutely free. It's kind of the next step if you want to learn more from me. We have four really good lessons in there. The first one is how traditionally in school has failed us. I love PT school. I thought I did a great job. It just didn't prepare me to be really good working in strength and fitness. And uh, I get it. I understand they have a lot of things to teach us, but let me teach you that next step on how to do this. The next lesson is seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym. If you don't know why folks get hurt in the gym in the first place, how are we going to go about creating prevention programs in the future and helping them get out of pain? They're just going to get hurt again. Next one is four simple steps, getting your clients out of pain. I think a lot of folks make rehab really complicated. It doesn't have to be. We have a couple simple steps to help you do this easily. And number four, how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. I know that you guys are watching Fitness Pain-Free because you want to learn more, how to be a better clinician. Um, but it's not really just about knowledge. It's about being able to help your patients and then earning their respect. Okay. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll leave a link in the show notes. You guys can check that out if you're watching the recorded uh, video here. Or if you want to check it out right now, you can just go into my profile under the highlights and you can download it on Instagram. All righty. Lastly, I want to let you know about the Fitness Pain-Free Certification because it actually launches in a couple of weeks. Um, this is the certification I wish that I had when I finished up with physical therapy school. I wanted to become an expert working in strength and fitness. Uh, the certification is open for enrollment four times per year for one week period opens in about two weeks. And if you sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course, you're automatically enrolled into the early wait list for the fitness pain-free certification. Well, you're save, we're going to save $300 off the cost of the certification and get early access. So if you're not already go sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course and get on the wait list. And I'll notify you when the certification rolls around again. All right. Pretty soon, two weeks. On to today's topic. So first and foremost, I just want to give a big thank you to Nancy Kuhn. 
Uh, she is a student that I'm working with right now at Champion Physical Therapy and Performance. She's almost finished up. She's doing a phenomenal job. Thank you, Nancy, for everything you do. Um, but she asks a lot of good questions, and I can't help but answer some of these because I think they're really good questions. I imagine it's going to help a lot of folks if we kind of talk through this besides just Nancy. So her question was, how do you choose the best exercise for patients based on their pain tolerance? And she actually has a, a background as a personal trainer, which is super helpful as a physical therapist. Uh, and she's pretty good at advancing exercises, regressing exercises. This is more for the fitness population that doesn't have any pain. Okay. So if the exercise is too easy for the average person, we can ramp it up. If it's too hard. We can dial it back down based on their fitness needs, strength needs. But how does this change once pain gets involved, right? Because oftentimes we're choosing exercises based on what someone can tolerate, not really what's going to be the best strengthening exercise for them in their background. Right. And, you know, this is typical Dan fashion, but, you know, I was thinking like, yeah, I can certainly answer this, but I think I can go a lot deeper, you know? Uh, so I'm sorry, Nancy, uh, I decided to kind of take this a step forward, uh, and do some extra, um, background on how to choose more complete exercises. Uh, but I will also directly answer your question as well. Alrighty. So first and foremost, I, I, I always want to try to let physical therapists know about this, or I just think it's a very important thing that we often forget about, uh, when folks come through the door and especially now that there's direct access as physical therapists. I think we always have to think about red flags. Okay. Uh, and what do I mean by that? So basically if there's a patient in front of you, let's say someone has shin, uh, shin pain and could certainly be a shin splint. Maybe you want to start treating it. Uh, it might also be a, a bone stress injury. We just need to know how to diagnose these and send them off to the right person. Uh, because if we start to exercise through a fracture, that, that's no bueno, right? On the flip side, um, some folks may actually be better suited to see a different professional. So maybe they need to go see a surgeon or something else based on what they're presenting with. I just think PTs need to know a little bit about these red flags and when to refer out. So we don't do something we shouldn't, right? Number one is do no harm. Okay. So that really is step one. We're trying to figure out the best exercise for the patient. Are they appropriate to actually exercise with the next step? So key number one is what are the best treatments for the diagnosis, right? And what do I mean by this? Well, you have to make sure you have an accurate diagnosis because we have a lot of evidence and research that points to the best treatments based on the diagnosis that you're dealing with, right? So a good example is, let's say someone comes in with some sort of anterior knee pain, right? Now, this might be patellofemoral pain, which is most likely, given it's the most common knee orthopedic injury you'll see in clinics around the world, really. Or it could be some sort of patellar tendinopathy or quad tendinopathy, right? You can argue that these are actually treated very similarly, but the caveat is something like patellofemoral pain we know does really well if you just go about strengthening the hip, it tends to help folks with patellofemoral pain quite a bit. But if you go about strengthening the hip for someone that has patellar tendinopathy, it might not be as effective. And why is that? It's simply that most of the research we have on patellar and quad tendinopathy shows that directly strengthening the quad and stressing the patellar tendon is what's most useful. So I think that this is actually where most students have most of their strength, right? Um, just because when a patient comes through the door, they're pretty good at diagnosing what they're dealing with and knowing which exercises are probably going to be best or the right types of exercises, right? So that's kind of your starting point. What is the diagnosis that you're dealing with? What does the evidence show is the best way to currently work with these things? Okay. So once you get an accurate diagnosis, 
The next step is you're going to start picking exercises or treatments that are individualized based on the patient, right? And I think what's important to understand is that for most patients, home exercise program compliance is terrible, right? It's God awful. One of the major reasons why folks probably don't get better is simply because they're not good at following their home exercises, right? And depending on the study that you look at, uh, non-compliance can be as much as 50% or more, right? So that's terrible. So as physical therapists, one of the first things that we're thinking about is what can we do to get people to comply to exercise as much as possible, okay? And that's one of the major things that flows through my head at all times when I'm trying to create an exercise program for my patients. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to derail the whole topic today and the lesson today, but one of the reasons why I'm over an hour late starting this um, <clears throat> fitness pain-free show episode is because I got sucked into a really cool research article that I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to try not to belabor the points too much because I might actually do an entire fitness pain-free show on this article at some point in the future because it was so great. Um, but basically it's a study by Collado Mateo et al in 2021. And they were looking at risk factor uh, factors that were going to be identified as helping people continue on with their exercise program to, to improve their exercise compliance. Right. And they found 14 individual factors that would increase adherence to physical exercise. And I think these are directly applicable to our patients in pain. Okay the better we can get our patients to be compliant with the exercises, the better outcomes are going to be. And I thought this, this article is, was awesome, right? So I'm just going to go over these 14 principles and you'll directly see how they're all relevant with exercise selection. So the first variable was characteristics of the exercise program. And this is basically individualization. So choosing specific frequencies, intensities, volumes that are going to match what the patient is going to be able to handle, right? And also planning for the long term for that patient. And we'll talk about what that actually means and how you can apply this to a given patient that's in front of you. And the other thing is that some of these variables are a little bit redundant. So we're going to be kind of repeating things over and over again, which is not bad. You get to see some of the trends of what works well. Number two is involvement of professionals from different disciplines. So if you have a doctor that's saying, hey, you need to strengthen your quad and you have a physical therapist that's saying, hey, you need to strengthen your quad. That's probably going to help out if you choose quad strengthening exercises, because now you have a couple different professionals that are saying the same thing, right? The next one is going to be supervision. This is a no brainer, right? Um, so for certain exercises, uh, particularly exercises in your patients that they're a little fearful of doing, right? They think they're going to do it wrong, or maybe they don't have access to the right equipment uh, at home, right? Or a gym that has access to the equipment that you want them to be doing a certain exercise with. You watch them do it. You supervise them doing it. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about physical therapy is folks are oftentimes coming to you so they can do exercises, right? So the exercises where you think the patient's not going to be able to do on your own, on their own, you do them inside the physical therapy clinic, right? Uh, or you may actually send them back to a personal trainer or a coach or, or someone that can actually watch them do the exercises. A great synergistic relationship that I have is a relationship with personal trainers. So I will say, hey, I'd like you to do X, Y, Z exercise to the patient. And the patient goes to their coach or their personal trainer, and they'll actually do those exercises with the personal trainer. And that's super helpful for compliance. Right? The next one is going to be technology. And what I mean by that? 
So basically in this study, they're looking at, let's say exercise videos, right? Uh, so essentially if there was a person that was leading the person through a, a set of exercises, um, virtually. Now, one of the things I do is when I make home exercise programs, I just put videos on there. And I think that's helpful because people forget what the exercises are. They forget how to do them. So if you have an exercise video that demonstrates that, I think that can be useful. The other thing that might be useful is to put these exercises into an app or a program, right? A bunch of these exist. One of those is True Coach, right? There's a bunch of them out there. So essentially, if you're writing a home exercise program that folks can follow along in, in an app and maybe check off the exercises as they do them, right? And maybe that information is sent to me as a physical therapist, just so I can see if they're actually doing the movements. It's going to increase your compliance a little bit. Okay. The next one was going to be an initial exploration of participants' characteristics, barriers, and facilitators. So what variables are going to reduce adherence? Uh, and that might be time. So if you have a program that's 45 minutes long, but the patient only has 10 minutes, they're not going to comply to that, right? If you tell the patient they need to do leg press for their knee pain, but they have no access to a leg press machine, they're obviously not going to do them. So these are variables that all need to be thought out before you give some an exercise program. Number six was participant education. So basically you're educating the patient on the pathology. You're educating the patient on whether or not uh, they're going to get better if they do the exercise or not, right? So are there risks and benefits to the exercise? Um, one example would be patellofemoral pain, a bunch of research on education for patellofemoral pain. Essentially, if you tell patients that there's a chance they might not get better if they don't exercise, that'd be a risk uh, that may improve adherence. And if you tell them, hey, this exercise is going to get you better, it's probably also going to improve adherence a little bit. Number seven was enjoyment and absence of unpleasant experiences. I think this is actually a really big one. Um, and it's a huge thing I think about with exercise selection. So if a patient comes in, patellofemoral pain, right? We'll get deep into this in a bit. And they like to run. I'm probably going to give them run specific exercises. And they're probably going to enjoy those exercises better because it's something they enjoy doing already is running, right? And the other piece of this is they don't like, like patients tend not to like unpleasant experiences. Uh, so despite patients probably being able to work through pain, right? And still get better. Maybe in some individuals, it's better to give them exercise that are less painful, just because that experience is going to be a little bit more pleasant. If every movement they make is not killing them, right? <laughs> and over the course of time, they might be more compliant with those exercises, right? Number eight is integration into daily living. So basically, you want to take into account preference and the ability to adapt to settings, so if an individual doesn't have access to a gym, then I probably can't give them a home exercise program with a bunch of leg press, knee extensions, because they just don't have access to it. Okay. So important you take that into account. The next one is going to be social support and re, uh, excuse me, relatedness. And that's basically support from peers, staff, and family, as well as the establishment of positive social interactions and feelings of belongings to a group. So Largely, if I have a patient that comes in, and they're already part of a community, let's say that's an Olympic weightlifting gym, or let's say that's a running team, right? Or they just have someone they like to work out with. If possible, I want them to continue training in that environment, uh, because I know that's going to help increase um, that person's um, continuation of exercising. Uh, sometimes you have to pull back from these environments, but as much as possible, you want to try to train in these environments, right? Number 10, communication and feedback. And this is going to be interaction between the staff and the participant. And this happens with physical therapy naturally, but you're always asking questions like, how are the exercises going? Are they too easy? Are they too hard? You need to dial back, 
Are you able to get them all in? Do we need to do less exercises? Do we need to change the way we have this program written? And we're just getting feedback from the patient over the course of time, communicating actively and figuring out the exercises are great for that person. Number 11 is available progress information and monitoring. And that's providing enough information to the patients that can be aware of the changes, improvements from objective data, right? This is actually pretty cool. So um, if you have an individual that's trying to get back to squatting heavy and they currently can't squat heavy just because they have, let's say, some knee pain, if we can show that their weights are getting higher and higher every week, that's objective data, they're probably more willing to continue with their physical therapy just because they can see that improvement over the course of time. Maybe use something like a handheld dynamometer with knee strength. We are trying to objectively increase knee strength over the course of time, and you measure that intermittently. Your patient's probably more likely to do their knee extension exercises just because they know they're going to be tested, and they want to see that number go up over the course of time, right? Number 12, self-efficacy and competence. So this is the per participant's perception of what they can do and what they will be uh, able to do over the course of time. One of the things that I'm asking my patients uh, pretty frequently in their first evaluation, right? So their first visit with me, does this exercise program look reasonable? Do you think you're going to be able to complete it, right? I'll often ask a lot of questions about how much time do you have available to devote towards physical therapy, right? How many exercises do you think you're going to be able to get through? Because I want to make sure that the patient feels like they're actually able to go through with a physical therapy program. And if we're not kind of on the mark, we can always adjust over the course of time, right? And then uh, the next one is a participant's active role. Sorry, I didn't memorize these prior, so I'm a little bit choppy in terms of delivering the information. So basically self-management, self-control, self-monitoring, autonomy, and empowerment. Uh, we want to make sure that the patient feels like they're able to take the, the reins on their program. They should feel like they're the ones that are able to control their pain. They can control their outcomes based on their ability to do the exercises. Okay. And the last one, and this is maybe even the most important one, is goal setting. So we're establishing adequate objectives. So for patients, I'm constantly acting, asking, what are your goals with physical therapy? What do you want to get back to? What can I help you with? Right. And if someone says running, I'm like, great, one of our goals, let's, let's get back to running. And then I'm going to set some objectives like, hey, I think in a couple of weeks from now, I'd like for you to be able to run 15 minutes. And then three weeks from there, I'm gonna, we're going to hopefully get that up to around 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And then by week six or week eight, we're going to incorporate some intensity. So maybe we'll do some tempo runs. And then maybe by week 10 to 12, I want to make sure that you're going to be doing some speed work, some track work, something along those lines. So basically, we're getting some objectives laid out over the course of time and just working towards knocking down those goals, which is great because we're developing a plan with the patient. I think our compliance is going to go through the roof if we're developing this based on what they want to try to achieve, right? With their goals. All right. So basically we got through those. Now, I think that, like I said, I could have made a whole lesson on those, but when you're choosing exercises, we want to make sure we individualize it. Okay. But keeping these objectives in mind, the next thing that I think is important is asking your patient about what they actually enjoy. Okay. And if fitness pain-free, I see a lot of people that like strength training. I see a lot of Olympic weightlifters. I see a lot of powerlifters, a lot of folks in CrossFit, a lot of meatheads, a lot of people that just like to go hard in the gym. All right. So I am almost always posting about exercises that have to do with training in the gym. Okay. Cause that's what my patients want to do. And I think your compliance is really going to go up, right. And your outcomes are going to go up. If you actually give patients exercises based on what they enjoy. 
And this one can be tough for me because if I have a patient that comes in and says that they like yoga, I give them yoga exercises. Are yoga exercises my favorite exercises? No. But are they going to be probably some of the best exercises for my patients? Yep, they are. If I have a patient that comes in with low back pain and they love Pilates, that's like a match made in heaven. I want to give them Pilates exercises because they love doing it. They enjoy doing it. Okay. So if I have an Olympic weightlifter that has low back pain, I want them to be doing exercises specific to Olympic weightlifting, right? I want them to get into a gym with other lifters who lift. I think that's the best possible scenario for that individual. If I have a runner that says that has, um, let's say, Achilles tendinopathy, I want to get them back on the road. I want to get them back to running. And if I am running with those individuals, I'm probably applying some good stress to that tendon to get to heal over the course of time. Okay. So we're thinking about what does that person enjoy? And that's going to set us up from an exercise specificity standpoint. Okay. And their adherence is probably going to be better. Next question, number three, key principle is what are patients trying to get back to? And I'll use the same example. So let's talk about the Olympic weightlifter that has low back pain. So best case scenario is we keep their training program as similar as possible to the rehab program. Okay. So if I have an individual that has low back pain and they're having trouble doing cleans, snatches, and squats because their back is killing them. I'm going to try to give them variations of cleans, snatches, and squats as rehab exercises. We know that lower body strength training is an effective treatment for low back pain. If I can get someone's rehab program to match their training program as much as possible, I think that's a huge win-win. The patient's going to love that, obviously, because they get to do the same thing that uh, they want to get back to, right? Day one. And then we know it's going to rehab them over the course of time. Okay? So that's good for me. I want my outcomes to go up. Let's talk about that runner with Achilles tendinopathy. So we know we need to directly load that Achilles tendon, right? But the more I can make the exercises specific to running, probably the better for that patient, right? And the other part is that I'm going to apply running as a rehab strategy for folks with Achilles tendinopathy. So maybe I'm going to alter their cadence a little bit. I'm going to change their running intensity a little bit. So I may have them do more slower runs, right? So as opposed to track work, I might back off do tempo runs. They can't tolerate higher speed work. I might have them do more volume, right? Might have to temporarily take away hills. But if I can get that dosage of running appropriate, I'm probably rehabbing them strictly through their running program, okay? Key number four, what is a patient's exercise and training background? And I think this is really important because if you get a novice weightlifter, right, as a patient and you give them a whole bunch of extremely complicated movements, so one good example is that in folks that have low back pain and I'm trying to modify, let's say the clean or the snatch, sometimes I'll use hip snatches or I'll use some barbell complexes that focus on technique in certain positions. And this is phenomenal because oftentimes it takes the load down and makes exercise very tolerable. But if I give these complex complexes to a novice lifter, it's probably going to too much. They're probably not going to be able to do it. They'll do it with poor technique. Uh, they're probably going to be frustrated with it. It's going to be challenging for that patient. Probably not the best thing. I want to keep it simple for these folks. However, if I have a very advanced lifter that's very confident working on all these different positions, right, then I'm going to give that to them. I'm going to give them a more complex and more nuanced program because they're used to doing that and they want that. But the novice is not going to get that. It's going to be a little bit more simple. Key principle number five how painful are patients? Because we know that if we blow through too much pain, 
sometimes we get worse, right? If we don't give enough stress, sometimes it don't get better. So we have to find a happy intermediate. And sometimes you can use pain as a guide. The next natural question is, is it okay to push through pain? It depends on the person, depends on the pathology. You don't want to run through a stress fracture, obviously, right? So we need to make sure we rule out red flags. However, a lot of pathologies we know we can through, we can push through some pain, right? It's a couple of good ones. So Smith et al., and this is an article in BGSM in 2017, they were looking at low back pain, heel pain, Achilles pain, and rotator cuff related pain. And they had two groups. So they had one group of these individuals work through some pain. The other group was not allowed to work through pain. What they found is that both groups had the same long-term outcome. They both improved. However, the ones that pushed through some pain had a better short-term outcome, right? What this means to me is that we can probably get away with pushing through some pain early on, and it might actually be better in the short term. So if I can choose an exercise, it's maybe a little bit more painful. However, the patient really wants to do it, and I think compliance is going to go up, right? And that uh, sport specificity is there. I'm probably going to choose that exercise, right? So the other thing we have to be aware of is that, you know, as physical therapists, it's not like everyone comes in with like non-specific low back pain and they want to get back to weightlifting. We're often dealing with, let's say, post-op patients. And for these folks, we just need to make sure we're respecting the healing injury site. So pain is not going to be the only player, right? I'm sure if you've been practicing for long enough, you've seen a massive rotator cuff repair week two, the patient comes in, they're like, my shoulder feels great. And they're doing this swing their arm over the head thing. And you're like, whoa, 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 you're going to retear rotator cuff. Stop doing that, right? So in some individuals, in certain circumstances, post-op is one of those things. Oftentimes we have to push patients down or back a little bit, uh, simply because pain is not a good guide for that individual, right? I think that goes without saying, but I just want to make sure that, you know, folks are realizing that they're not going, you know, after a, uh, a surgery and pushing things that are not appropriate. Okay. Uh, if you're not a physical therapist watching this, and you just had a recent surgery and you're trying to figure out how to do exercise on your own. Don't find a good physical therapist, find a doctor, have someone guide you, please, please, please. Uh, another term you'll hear a lot in the medical literature, and I use a lot with my patients, is the word tolerable, okay? So you'll see this in Littlewood et al. in 2015. He studies a lot of rotator cuffs, great study. And they basically use the word tolerable to dose the, the exercise stress. If the exercise felt tolerable to that person, then they said green light, we can continue exercising. Uh, Jack Hickey has also used this term with um, hamstring strain injuries. So basically, he doses exercises basically as hard as a person can tolerate, as long as the person finds the exercise tolerable. Okay. And what he found is that both groups, the ones that pushes into more versus less, they have a similar outcome, right? Which is a win-win. If you can push someone a little bit harder early on, uh, there's going to be a lot of benefit to that because they're getting back to the activities they want to a little sooner, hopefully. Uh, and then plus they, they maintain their strength and fitness more so. All right. And the last uh, system I use or model I use is the pain monitoring model. Uh, this has been studied in a lot of pathologies, but mostly tendons. So the Achilles, patellar tendon. So essentially, if you do an exercise and it's less than a five out of 10, and that night and the next day, you're back to your baseline pain-wise, then it's okay to push these movements, right? So largely, I use this pain monitoring model with my patients. Let's say someone has Achilles tendinopathy. I'll take them into the gym during the evaluation. We try a variety of calf strengthening exercises, and we use the hardest exercises that the patient is able to handle that fit this pain monitoring model, okay? And it's a good place that you can start with your patients. Now, this is 
specifically for Nancy's question at the beginning, uh, oftentimes you'll have an athlete that's very strong, right? And let's say they can tolerate uh, 200 pounds on a calf calf raise, right? Let's say 200 pounds, 150 pounds body weight plus a 50 pound dumbbell normally. And that's usually what their strength is. They may not be able to handle that, right? So let's say they're only able to handle double legged heel raises because their Achilles is so painful. So in that individual, we're dosing exercise, not based on their strength, but based on their pain. And we're really working on improving their tolerance. Okay. And that's how I would handle that situation. And I think largely in terms of, you know, pain is you're meeting patients where they are. So when the patient comes in, they're going to give you a whole bunch of subjective information. Okay. And it's your job to take that information to guess about what exercises you think are best for them. Take them in the gym, try a bunch of movements and give them the hardest exercise that they're able to handle, right? That they tolerate well, they're going to kind of meet all those individualization uh, principles we talked about prior in this talk. Okay. And key number six is going to be long-term planning. And I think this is most important for sports situations. Uh, and I'll give you a pretty recent example. So I was working with a power lifter recently, and she's about four weeks out from nationals, and she has a new onset of low back pain. Dang, that stinks, right? So essentially, we want to try our best to do well at nationals. It's a really, really big, important meet for her, okay? Here's the thing. I can't completely derail her training. Okay. We want to keep her training as consistent as possible because she has a meet in four weeks. Right. So essentially we're trying to survive, right? I want to make sure that she doesn't break. I want to make sure that she's able to, to perform at her highest level. Okay. And make sure her pain doesn't start winning to the point where her weights go down, down, down. Okay. Now I tinker with her training program as little as needed in order to make sure she kind of rehabs and does well at nationals. Right now, Let's have the same person comes in with low back pain and now she's two weeks after nationals. Okay. We completely revamp her training program. We completely change her physical therapy program. Right. Why is that? It's because she doesn't have nationals in four weeks. Now we can back off quite a bit. Okay. We're in her off season. So essentially we can rewrite everything and change everything up a ton. Okay. So when we're choosing kind of physical therapy exercises, you have to keep this in mind, okay? The exercise you choose in season is going to be very different than the exercise you choose in off season, okay? And I'm probably going to make a completely different show episode about this in the future, uh, but this is a really important key aspect that you should be asking your patients what's coming up, what are the important meets, you know, uh, just so we can plan our rehab out appropriately, okay? So one more time, if you guys like what I went over today, and you want to take that next step, I recommend signing up for the Fitness Pain-Free uh, mini course. It's completely free. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. If you're watching this on Instagram, check the highlights, and then go to the Fitness Pain-Free mini course. You can download it 100% free. Four great lessons, taking that next step with me, learning how to work with folks in strength and fitness. Now, if you're interested in any of the references, I'm going to leave those in the show notes. Like I said, that one article was amazing. So if you want to read that, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's open access, um, really good stuff. So again, I'll leave that in the show notes. so You can take a look at it. Lastly, if you guys have any questions, leave them in the comments right now. If you're watching the recorded version of this, leave a comment anyway, and I'll get back to you at some point. So I will answer the comment. And if it's a really good question, I'll do an entire show on it. Okay. So if you have any topics you want me to cover in the future, leave them in the comments. All right. Let me check Instagram right now and we'll see if I have any comments that I can answer any questions I can answer right now. And if not, we'll just kind of wrap up. All right. Let me scroll through. What's up guys. What's up guys. 
And I really do want to say thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't say this enough, but the reason why I'm able to kind of, you know, have the career of my dreams, right? And really enjoy what I do on a regular basis is because of folks like you, because, you know, you watch my stuff and you buy my products and my courses and certifications, and hopefully it's a good thing for you, right? Uh, but it allows me to continue doing, you know, Instagram lives like this. So I, I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Let's keep on rolling through. Very good. Looks like that's it, guys. Uh, thank you for everyone that joined me today. Uh, like I said, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them. Uh, leave it in the comments section. Um, if you haven't subscribed to me, subscribe. Hit the like button, right? Helps the algorithm. But otherwise, guys, I'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much for joining me. All right. I'll see you.